Hello, everyone, and welcome to another sermon in our series on the Book of Romans. My name is Dan Forrest, and today we will be looking at Romans chapter 12. Can you believe it? We're so close to the end now. Well, the title of my sermon today is Go, Go, Power Christians. Anyone here really into the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers? I actually was a bit too old when it first came out to watch it, but uh, my younger sister really loved it, and so... I would end up watching a few episodes with her after school. Well, for our video clip today, we're going to watch the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers in action. So, enjoy. had their own dinosaur that they got to control and each dinosaur had its own unique strengths. Pink Ranger's pterodactyl could fly and could shoot lightning bolts. Yellow Ranger's saber-toothed tiger was super fast and had a laser cannon tail. And Black Ranger's mastodon could fire blasts of cold air to freeze the enemies. But as we just saw, it was even awesomer when all the dinosaurs united to form the Megazord. Oftentimes in our culture, we place individuals on a pedestal and we recognize their amazing achievements without considering all the people around them. And it just makes sense. Look at the Power Rangers, for example. After they join together to form Megazord, it's the Red Ranger who's really the only one doing anything. He's controlling the whole Megazord while everyone's just kind of sitting there. Well, lately we've been hearing a lot about Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Richard Branson because, because of their efforts to go to space. We know all their names, we know their companies, we know the things that they've built up, but we really don't know any of the other people who have worked so hard to make these guys billionaires. And in churches we have our fair share of celebrity pastors too, like these guys, John Piper, Stephen Furtick, Rick Warren, and even Jonathan Chan. <laughs> well, these people are the main preachers, so they become the face of the church and everyone just looks up to them. Well, for myself as a pastor, I always get overwhelmed when someone says that they expect me individually 
to be the one that takes us to the next level. You often hear that uh, when, when you're looking for a new leader in an organization. I think this person will be the one to take this organization to the next level. But I really struggle with that mindset because I don't think that's what the Bible teaches and I don't think that that's what we experience in everyday life. And let me just give you an example of what I mean. When I was a teenager, I'd go fishing quite a bit with my friends and we weren't that great at it. Over the years, I caught a few fish here and there, but many times I returned home with nothing. The fish that I did catch were nothing spectacular. They're just barely over the legal limit so I could take them home. But when I was in New Zealand, there was this guy from my church named Steve and he organized a little fishing trip with a few of us. And that turned out to be the best fishing experience I've had in my entire life. And this is our team here. When we got out to a good fishing spot, Jonathan, our skipper, the guy on the left, he dropped the first lure in the water and instantly he hooked a fish. I was given the honor of reeling that fish in and just like that, I had caught my first snapper. I threw the lure back in the water and bam, I caught another one. I was so excited. And the fish just kept biting throughout the day. We just kept reeling them in. It was unbelievable. I caught more fish that day than all of my previous fishing trips combined. And at one point, I caught this snapper here. And that was the biggest fish I had ever caught in my life. It was so fun reeling it in. But then another guy on our trip, his name was Cam, he really took over and he started catching all kinds of fish and he caught this one here which was even bigger than mine. We were all so excited catching these beautiful fish. But then I snagged another one. So remember this was the fish that I caught earlier that I was so proud of? Well this is the fish that I caught later in the day. <laughs> Look at the size of that thing! I couldn't believe it! This was just an amazing day of fishing for all of us and I was especially excited at this point. So when you look at our team, which one of us would you say was the one to push this day to the next level? Well, it must have been me because I caught the first fish of the day, I caught the second fish of the day, I caught the biggest fish of the day. So obviously I'm the one who pushed it to the next level, right? Well, maybe not, but really the obvious answer would be Jonathan. It's, it's Jonathan's boat. He was the expert. He had all the equipment. He had the experience to know where to catch the fish. But what about Steve, the guy in the back there? Steve is the one who organized this whole trip. This day wouldn't have happened if Steve hadn't pulled it all together and set us up with Jonathan. <laughs> but then what about this other guy I was with? His name is Pastor Andrew. I worked with him. Andrew, he was... Uh, not only the one who drove us out to the boat, but he's the one who taught me how to fillet the, uh, fillet the fish. And without his filleting skills, I wouldn't have been able to enjoy that delicious fish that we had caught. On that day, we all had parts to play. Someone to organize the trip, someone to set up the equipment, someone with the experience, someone to drive us out there. Someone to fillet. Someone to cook the fish. It took all of us together to move that experience to another level. And that's exactly how it is with the church. We all have a role to play in the church. Not one of us is better than any other. And none of us should be elevated over the other roles. I'm looking at you, Jonathan. You're not better than me or anyone else. 
That's exactly what Paul is getting at in Romans 12. Let's read verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Well, this verse here is a common one that uh, I would often preach to my youth group. But in researching this sermon, I realized that I was actually missing a really important point that Paul is making here. This passage is a great call for us to, as individuals to sacrifice and surrender our whole lives and bodies to God for his kingdom and for his purposes. Our mind, our body, our feelings, our actions, all of who we are should be brought in alignment with God's will, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. This is the best life that God is calling us to, a life that is surrendered to him. But whenever I would preach this passage, I would really focus on the individual level of it. You should sacrifice yourself to God as your personal act of worship. But this passage is, this passage is actually not directed to individuals. It's directed to a group of people, to a community of believers. All these pronouns and verbs and nouns, they're all plural. Paul is calling the whole community to do this together to sacrifice themselves individually so that they can be united together as one body, the body of Christ. This whole chapter starts with one important word, therefore. And as my Bible teachers would always tell me, when you see a therefore, you have to see what it is there for. Meaning, look at the scriptures that came before it. And in this case, Paul is actually referring to Everything that he's talked about so far from chapter 1 all the way to chapter 11. All the chapters that we've been preaching on so far. Well, as you know from all that we've been preaching on throughout chapters 1 to 11, Paul is making the argument over and over that God has brought salvation to both Jews and Gentiles, not through the law, but through faithfulness, the faithfulness of Jesus, and through our faith in Jesus. And because God's plan all along was to offer salvation through Jesus to both Jews and Gentiles, Paul writes, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you, Jews and Gentiles, offer your bodies as living sacrifices so that you can come together as one body, the body of Christ. Let's keep reading in verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In order for the Power Rangers to defeat the bad guy at the end of every episode, they needed to sacrifice their individual dinosaurs so that they could form one giant Megazord. While it seems like um, the Red Ranger is the one doing all the work, it's because the others have all contributed their dinosaurs to the fight. 
And the other rangers aren't just sitting in the background doing nothing. They're pointing out what's happening in the battle. They're offering strategy. They're even operating some of the guns and other lasers of parts of the Megazord. In the church, there isn't one person who's more important than everyone else. We all have a role to play that makes our united effort an incredible force in this world. Paul writes in verse 6, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, Paul lists a lot of different gifts here, and and this list isn't exhaustive. Paul lists other gifts in other passages that aren't on this list. He lists other gifts like pastoring, the gift of evangelism, the gift of administration, among many other gifts as well. And there's other gifts that we would recognize as useful for the church that actually aren't talked about by Paul, like the gift of music, or the gift of working with kids, or the gift of being a techie. (laughs) All these things are important for running a church, for being the body of Christ. God created us all unique, and he's gifted us all with special gifts and strengths so that we can play a particular necessary role in his church. When Paul calls us to sacrifice ourselves, that doesn't mean that you stop being you and you give up on the things that you like to do. What it actually means is you now direct who you are and what you're good at into and through the body of Christ. You pitch in and contribute where you can. In the Roman church, as we all know, as we've been talking about a lot, there was a split forming between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. But thankfully, the Spirit has the power to bring people together who once were alienated. The power to bring people together who would not normally have anything to do with each other. The power to bring together people from across all different spectrums. Age, gender, race, status, health, ability. When people think of miracles, they often think of bodies being healed or storms being diverted. But for me, one of the greatest miracles is unity. And Paul knows that in order for that unity to be maintained, the individual church members need to swallow their pride and practice love and grace in their community. So he writes these follow-up words, the last half of Romans 12, to back up his call to unity. Verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, 
For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, I actually don't have much more to say on the passage than that. I think Paul explains very clearly what we need to do in the situation and what God has done for us leading up to this. It's a miracle that God can bring together people from such different walks of life to work together for his good purposes. And he's the one who empowers us to make every effort to maintain that unity as we each do our own part to build up the Megazord of Christ. I want to leave you now with a paraphrase of these last few verses of word as words of encouragement and blessing to you. Brothers and sisters, as you go from here, may the Holy Spirit empower you to offer your body as a living sacrifice to the one body of Christ. May Jesus teach you to hate what is evil and cling to what is good. May you be devoted to one another in love, honoring one another above yourselves. May you be passionate, joyful, patient, faithful, generous, and hospitable servants and prayers. May God humble you so that you may live in harmony with one another and even bless those who persecute you. And may you live at peace with all people as much as it is possible, not being overcome by evil, but instead overcoming evil by good. Amen. Thank you.